Welcome to the Marketers That Matter Visionaries Podcast, hosted by Nadine Dietz, the GM of Marketers That Matter and EVP of 24-7. The marketing landscape is constantly changing, but we believe that when marketers at the forefront come together to share insights, you can confidently lead yourself, your teams, and the industry into the unknown. The future is here, and it's moving fast. So let's bring on the visionaries from today's top brands pioneering the future and get this conversation started. Hi, first of all, thank you for coming out today uh, to Instacart HQ. So I am Laura, I'm CMO of Instacart. I've been here just under two years and previously was at Uber for six years. Before that, I was at Google and Visa, and I'm really excited to be here today. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer, Tara Data. Uh, yay, Tara Data. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My background is in technology, been in technology for 20 about years <laughs> and uh, with Oracle, IBM, GE, and also with Nielsen. Most people are very familiar with Nielsen as well. So that is my background. Hello, me, Addy. I'm the CMO of Philos, a streaming television company. Been with Philos six years. Before that, I was with Comcast, uh, leading marketing for a, a streaming division for them out here. And I've had stints with Deloitte as a management consultant in investment banking. And he wears great jackets. <laughs> okay, great. So today's topic is driving brands through short-term expectations. I'm sure everyone's feeling a little pressure these days. How relevant is this? I'm guessing you're here because this is a topic important to you and it's relevant to you. It seems at nice. Okay. Well, hopefully we're going to give you some really great things to consider because we're all facing similar challenges. This topic can be really heady and it can be also a little depressing. And it's tough, right? It, we wouldn't be here if it was easy. But having said that, through chaos, through challenge, through trying times, comes a lot of opportunity and a lot of new ways of working and new ideas that we never had before. So I'm going to give you a motto now, and I'll repeat it at the end. And it comes from Indra Nui, who's the former CEO and chairperson of PepsiCo. And her motto is be nostalgic about the past, be realistic about the present, and be optimistic for the future. So we're going to take you through a journey here, and then we're going to go workshop what that really means for you and your roles. So with that, Jacqueline, I'm going to ask you to help me start by defining this topic <laughs> in terms of driving brands through short-term expectations. What is the role of marketing? Why is it so hard? I think people have a, an expectation today for everything to happen everywhere all at once. And for any of those that saw the movie, which I didn't, um, I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard it's like some people really like it or some people are like, I can handle the everything all at one time. And I do think as marketers, we are always in that position where people have these, what feels like unrealistic expectations. And whether we're in times of prosperity which were probably the, even during the pandemic, I think we could argue that many companies were reasonably prosperous unless you were a hotel chain or maybe a restaurant. Kind of short of that, everyone else during the pandemic figured it out and figured out how to be pretty prosperous. But we're in a different time now where money's not free and there is just an expectation on marketers to somehow be able to 
maneuver and see around corners, I think, even more quickly than we did during the pandemic. And I just think there's a lot less patience for results. And so I think it's the responsibility of marketers to kind of really be ahead of that thought. So before people are even coming to you, you should already be thinking, I'm now in an environment that's a little bit different than what I was in before. It may be a little bit more challenging. But as Nadine said, I actually think I'm pretty optimistic about it. Like, I think this is an opportunity where we can actually redefine what's going on and what it really means to be a marketer. And I think that we have a great opportunity to lead. Nice. Yes. I guess round of applause. So, me, as Jacqueline was describing some of the shifts we're going through, what are some of the shifts that you're observing today and filing? Yeah, I mean, I think as we are taking more short-term views, there's a real institutional momentum to forget about what the long-term plan is. And I think that's really dangerous because you can band-aid things up or make drastic decisions to make the balance sheet look better or, or the income statement look better in the near term. But if you disconnect from the reasons for being the long-term brand ethos, it will really make it hard to prioritize what and how you should be taking action right now. And so that's something that I'm fighting in my company right now is to make sure, okay, we maybe are not going to be running as many things in parallel right now, but for the smaller selection of initiatives, projects, media spend that we are going to do, make sure that it's still tied to that long-term vision of who we want to be. And it's actually an easier story to tell, like, why why are we doing this versus the other things that we can do? And some of the ways that I think about it is when we were flush and we had more latitude, that was like practice. We had experimenting, we were doing a bunch of stuff, and now it's game time. So it's time to really cold down to those things that you really were able to draw impact from. And that's the story. It's really important that you can articulate to the rest of the business for why you're doing those things. Thank you. And, and Laura, how about you? What are, how are you seeing the shifts happening today? Yeah, I think what you guys are saying is very resonant. I think in times of pressure comes focus. And I love your framing of kind of the experimentation now informing how we move forward. And for me, it's about really embracing a growth mindset and recognizing that what got us here to this point is not going to be what gets us to the next stage. And I, you know, at a company like Instacart that had such explosive growth during the pandemic and now really needs to ride the strength of our value prop and really show value outside of a crisis situation when people technically can go back to the grocery store, but really showing why this is a better solution. And, you know, it, it definitely helps us, I think, be the, the need for efficiency this year helps us really think about what will move the need or what are the metrics that matter and how do we challenge ways that we operated in the past that might have not directed all of our resources towards those most important goals. So I think it's that focus and that the embrace embracing the opportunity to do fewer things, do them better and ask each individual as well. What does that mean for how they show up every day? Do they need to learn a new skill? Do they need to spend time in a different way than they might have in the past and viewing that as a growth opportunity for really each individual and team. And I love that. And speaking of metrics, Jacqueline, you and I were talking yesterday at 
you mentioned there's a lot of really interesting ways to, to measure things today to help you stay on course, especially when times are challenging. What are some of those examples? So I think it's really important, whether you're in B2B or B2C, that you, you know, and I say this not tongue in cheek, and it may seem intuitively obvious, but I think I could pick a handful of marketers out of any room and ask, how does your business really run? Do you actually understand your business, how it runs, and what is your role in that business? How do you make impact? And if you actually can't answer that question, then that's something that I would give you a homework assignment to be able to answer that question the next time that we see each other, because you have to be able to talk the business of the business and your marketing metrics, whatever they are, need to align to that. So everyone is going to talk about what type of return on investment are you having? What is the lifetime value of a customer? What is your customer acquisition cost? People are always going to ask those types of questions. And I do think for the most part, you'll see people have a lot of metrics and KPIs that they spew out. And then you talk to their CEOs or someone else in their business and their KPIs are really not aligned to how the business expects for you to drive value. And so regardless of what your KPIs are as a marketer, the most important KPIs for you to have are the ones that everyone else in the organization looks at and says, oh, I get that and I get actually how it's helping me acquire customers or I get how it's helping me improve my retention rates or I get how it's helping me have deeper engagement. Whatever those things are, because at the end of the, the day, that can point to revenue. And the more that you can have direct line of sight to revenue, that's what matters. You can only do that when you truly understand how your business makes money. So if you can answer, this is how my business makes money. If I was an insurance company, everybody would say, I just sell policies. Not true. That's not the only way an insurance company makes money. The biggest way American Express makes money is actually through its partnerships. Not intuitively obvious. And so thinking about those things and really truly understanding them in relationship to what you do as a marketer, I think is the biggest key for you to drive your own careers. Great advice. And he, we were talking the other day too about connecting the dots to also what your consumer really cares about. And shifting how you think about what you measure to be more in line with this value-oriented proposition. And the example that came up was TV, streaming TV. Huge factor for consumers in their lives today, especially around mental health and unplugging and recharging and just the impact that has. Can you talk, talk to us a little bit more about what you did to uncover some of the metrics that matter to you and how you apply them in your business? For sure. So, I mean, I think, in this environment, as in others, one of the things that's important is to retrench into your ethos and value proposition and into your existing customers and like what value they bring to the organization. Often you're thinking about growth, expanding TAM, all of those sorts of things, but along the retention and really engagement parts, that's a growth lever for your business that's often overlooked. And so in times where you may not have the wherewithal or expand or whatever you need to reach broad, focusing within and understanding your core and treating them as 
it as well as possible is really impactful. And so what we did over the pandemic, when people were going through a lot, they were looking for ways to de-stress and understand. And as a TV brand, we were trying to figure out, okay, what's our place in this and how can we serve our community better? We did some surveys and TV, among the things that we surveyed was the number one, like 55% of people went to TV when they were stressed or depressed or whatever, as an outlet over you know, exercise and, you know, they're not that that's a big thing. Necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was. And so it raised the profile. like, okay, this is super important in people's lives, not just for entertainment or because we're trying to sell a subscription, but because this is something that people are turning to for utility. So how do we think about showing up for people in that way? So we use that insight to create a brand campaign that has really formed really the I think the shell of how we want to go to market around Philo being comfort food of television. So we comfort channel comfort, right? The little pun in there, <laughs> which works well. But so that that's built a whole entire brand campaign last year around that. And it, it, it's really started to push forward sort of our differentiated place in the industry and then thinking even beyond that. So now we're in this time where maybe we're not going to do a huge brand splash at least early this year, we were thinking about how do we lean into that comfort element even more and extend it and the nostalgia of TV and what TV represents in people's lives. So we took that same shoot that we did, the money's already been spent and internally we were able to flip it into a nostalgic, we created basically an infomercial out of that same shoot to lean into the history of TV, something that people recognize, kind of a tongue in cheek because people hate infomercials, but it's something that's familiar, right? And will stand out. And in this time when uh, we're not going to do something big branded because we need something that has ER performance impact, this will stand out and serve both purposes for us. So it's kind of like an evolution of that same thread over time. Amazing. And there's so many more questions I want to ask you about this, but let's come over to you, Laura, because speaking of TV, you just launched a whole new capability and not just for new campaign capabilities, but also in light of this topic, cost reduction, there's cost savings when you partner, right? Do you want to talk about this new co-creation capability you just launched? Yeah, I think building off what you were talking about, Nee, I think two things that we're trying this year that are interesting, I think first is really treating and doing away with the distinction between brand and performance and really thinking about just the entire funnel, full funnel, and recognizing that even if we're putting out DR messages, that is shaping people's perception of the brand. And then when we think about how to increase that top of funnel footprint, you know, really thinking about the entire ecosystem and how we can go to market. So we're a four-sided marketplace. We have consumers, advertisers, retailers, and shoppers who are the folks that are out there uh, picking and delivering groceries. And, and so, you know, in the past, we had done co-marketing with our retailers. But this year, one of the things that we're testing and, and really excited about is co-marketing with our advertisers. And realizing that there are an, a ton of incredible CPG partners on our platform that are using our own ad products to help bring new customers on board to help drive a trial of new products. But they're also out there spending an upper funnel on traditional channels. And so we were thinking about how might we partner and really make the most of these impressions and really, from a consumer standpoint, help shorten that journey from discovery to actually enjoying that product in your hands. In the run-up to the Super Bowl, we partnered with Michelob Ultra as they were going to market with an integrated campaign and actually served as a conversion layer on that campaign. So 
had those spots co-branded, had a QR code at the end of them. And it was a great example of really leveraging the reach of that campaign and providing something for them in the form of immediate conversion and measurability off TV. And so this is something we're really excited about as we think about how can we increase our share of voice and do so in, a, in an efficient manner and do so in a way that helps our partners and provides real value to them. And, and what was exciting is that because we have this ads platform, we were also able to offer a lot of really unique placements and integrations, things like push notifications that really provide that immediacy. So it was a win-win taking advantage of each company's strength. So I think that's a great example of kind of creativity coming out of constraints. And I think when you look, when you talk about optimism in this kind of environment, thinking about what are the new constraints and a lot of those constraints are going to be financial and goal alignment. But in a way, those constraints can help you, A, have that level of focus and then B, have innovation within that focus. If what you are trying to achieve is growth, and you know that Top of Funnel is part of that, then what are all the ways you can achieve that reach and within those budgetary constraints? Awesome. So speaking of optimism and speaking of having that foresight to be able to navigate, Jacqueline, you were so funny yesterday because you said, I was in tech early on and I had all these dreams I was going to retire by 35 years old. (laughs) 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 We're all still here. (laughs) Tell us about that time and how you learned it. Bacon foresight. You see, I'm still here. (laughs) Dot com bubble burst and it like never really totally came back and we were all going to be rich and it was great. <laughs> and so I, I think that's a good example of when things are just like, you really feel like not so much what can go wrong, but like everything seems to be going your way, right? What was it? Pet.com, dog.com, whatever, like all of those things, there was just a lot of money that was out there. And I would really argue that the last five years after what happened in the banking system 2007, 2008, there was just a lot of money out there that was for the most part free. Those of you who are younger, you may not remember what interest rates were or look like, but (laughs) for those of us who've been around for a minute, we will tell you like the interest rates that you've seen for the last decade, that's just not reality. And so there's this notion of everything's just going the way that it should be until Silicon Valley Bank just happened. And I think that was a real shock for people. But if we go back, you just don't have to go back that far to see that we had a banking crisis in 2007, 2008. And then you can go back to the probably late, early 90s. There was another banking crisis. So these, these shocks happen. And what do they do? for your personal career when they happen and how do you respond to that? And you'll see even Facebook announced Mark Zuckerberg said he was laying off another 10,000 people. And so to Nadine's point about being optimistic, I actually think this is the time to double down on what types of additional skills and things that you personally have that make you even more marketable than you already are. Like, to me, this is that time. So all those times when, you know, it was a scary time and we all had these options and then next thing we know, they were underwater. 
that was a time when I think everyone thought that all these other things were going to happen for them. And they just didn't. They happened for some people. Some people were at Google at the right time. Um, <laughs> a little later than that. <laughs> they happened for some people. I think when you think about the majority of the things that happen, we're all going to have these challenges that actually happened in our career that we just don't anticipate. And I think the best way to manage through what, I, what can only be described as crises that we have is really not to say, oh my God, everything is like the sky is falling. Because I've often thought about, I don't think my career has just gone like this. I think it's gone like that and it's in a good place. But I think that I've always responded in a way that I was like, I'm just going to keep going. There is something better for me ahead. And whatever was behind me is behind me. And that whatever's in front of me is going to be way better than whatever my past was. And I think if we just embrace that, I rem- that dot-com crisis was bad. It was not a great time, but we somehow managed through it. And we had a lot more opportunity coming out on the other side of that. If you look at all the companies that have been created since that time, and that was only in the span of 20 years. And so if you think about now, I'm like, yeah, some things are going on. But what's ever ahead of us is going to be way better. And I think as marketers, we have an opportunity to play much more of a pivotal role in how companies show up and what companies stand for. And I think that's really critical. Thank you. So as we think about different levers that we have in front of us when folks are asking us to cut back and still push forward and grow. There's so many of them, and you've already provided some great examples here. But I'm going to break this down into a couple of pieces. So let's start with talent. Lots of different organizational structures are coming out of this last time. We're noticing we need different skills. We're noticing we need to evolve the marketing work. And yet, many of us are in hiring freezes. And so how do we continue to iterate and innovate in times like these? Laura, what are you seeing? Yeah, I think that there's two ways we've thought about it. One is taking existing talent and giving them the opportunity to try something new. And I love what you're saying about using this as an opportunity. There's, I'll tell a little anecdote. We are head of our media team is here, Michael. This team was really squeezed. We were really getting much more to outbound and we just didn't have enough horsepower. He had hired a lot, but you're still constrained. And there was a team that needed to tap into that outbound media and they were struggling with how are we going to open up capacity to service this team's need. And huge credit to this one woman on the team who raised her hand. She was the one that kind of came in with the request. She said, what if I just learned some of these skills and actually just started taking on some of the media tasks? It, it was far outside of her existing skill set, but she had that growth mindset and raised her hand and was willing to learn. And Michael and his team were willing to help coach her and really bring her up to skill. And it for us, it opened up this entirely new possibility for us that we're really championing. And this woman earned a promotion in this cycle. And we're holding this up as an example of how we should operate going forward because it helped her gain a skill that will make her incredibly and poised in the future to have a broader role, to have a leadership role now that she has both the strategy and the channel side. And for us, it was a huge win to be able to take somebody and expand their impact and open up a bottleneck. 
The other thing we're looking at in cases where the skills are more specialized is bringing on contractors, bringing on EXTs, and really thinking about are there specialized skills that right now we don't need as full-time roles, but that we do want to have access to that kind of skill set. And that's also been, I think, a really great lever where we're able to take get the benefit of that talent without having to be constrained by being in, a, in an environment where it is an infinite headcount growth. Because I think, again, these yeah. things come in waves. And I think from when I joined Instacart to, to now, I quadrupled the team. And that was this huge growth wave. And now it's a time of hold the line. We have incredible talent. And let's use these other techniques to take the team we have and be able to continue to grow, grow the impact of the team while creating that operating leverage, which is what you really need for a company to be successful. Wow. Love it. Great examples. And me, we're going to dive in deep here in the whole battle between in-house outsource. You have ridden the wave and brought everything in-house and then you've pushed some stuff back out again. Tell us about that journey and the choices that you've made. Yeah, it seems like there's been, there was kind of like over the last five years or so around bring everything in-house because if you know you're doing a lot of it and you're always going to be doing more because we always forget that, that these waves happen then we want to own those resources and it's more cost-effective. They're closer to the business, better collaboration, and you can iterate quickly. All true. But then you have a wave where maybe some of these things aren't as core to the business or aren't priorities. And so it looks like there's going to be more reliance on external resources, whether they be contractors or agencies or what have you. And I think internally, I love what you were saying, Laura, some people we've tried to repurpose and if you have a passion for something, let's see how we can deploy you in the business because priorities are evolving. We're still trying to grow. It's just that the locus of investment has changed. And so where you can move people, you can, and you do. And then where you can't, I think it's more about resetting the understanding of how we do business from a cultural perspective of saying, we are going to own the very core elements of our business. And these are what those things are. So will rally you around these sorts of things. And in other places, because we have teams that were already running lean and they had heads on their, on the roadmap that they were waiting for and they needed yesterday. And those aren't coming <laughs> now. So having to help them understand. So what are ways we can probably, again, it's about impact, not necessarily doing more with less, but saying maybe we also do less stuff because we're focused on the more impactful stuff. And so saying, okay, let's help prioritize Maybe we could do temporary support with agencies or contractors to get you the momentum you need and understand which of these elements is really critical to move forward with those things. And then again, I think that's an opportunity for teams to support one another to the extent that some teams may have additional capacity, which can help protect those rules. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. One last big round question around tech, and then we're going to go and show our breakouts. But tech is a key enabler in a lot of different ways. And I'm going to start with you because you were really excited about some of the recent discoveries in applying AI to augment the skill set of the teams. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So we, I think, are very much embracing AI, both in terms of our offerings for consumers. We've just announced Ask Instacart, which is a plug-in with ChatGPT, where you can ask, what should I have for dinner tonight? And it will not only give you a recipe, but give you an Instacart shopping list. So that's an incredible application. And from a consumer standpoint, but also internally, it can be a force multiplier for our own teams. And uh, another kind of individual I want to spotlight is uh, our head of our motion team has been 
consistently embracing a lot of these new AI-driven tech uh, platforms to automate tasks that used to take a really long time. And so we have a custom illustration library that we developed as part of our rebrand. And it used to be that animating a spot with it would take us days, weeks, and, you know, very kind of traditional painstaking ways of doing it. And recently he uh, just implemented a new system that enables motion capture from a webcam. And so you can gesture, and I think this is where we have the visual, but it's a really amazing, let's see if this can make this work, but you can see there Bert, um, our head of motion, being able to capture his own gestures and in these animated characters, which has dramatically reduced the time it takes to create new assets. And again, just points to the idea that I think AI, especially as somebody on the creative side, can be daunting to say, like, if, you know, this technology can do what I can do, does that mean that I'm no longer relevant? And I'm really encouraging the team to see this as a superpower. And I have a five-year-old son who's really into, you know, all the Marvel superheroes and all the tools that they have. And I try to bring that ethos and say, look, these things are superpowers. What used to take you a week now takes you an hour. So what else can you do that's groundbreaking, that's creative? How can you use your time better and upskill and this entire team to just get better, get faster, and be able to ultimately create more creative or differentiated work? I think that this should be something that we apply that lens of optimism. And we also, you know, have yeah. talked about <laughs> the flip side of that and brand safety and safety, frankly, for society at large. And that is very important. And I think another conversation that has to happen in parallel but these things are inevitable. And so we have to both embrace them and deeply understand them in terms of both what are the threats and what are the opportunities. Well, I love it for the opportunity because when you think about it and you think about how people consume content and their attention span, and I know from your comfort TV that you know this as well, people's attention spans are just much shorter. So the more different types of ads or things that you're producing, People are looking for those storylines and looking for that kind of short, quick, staccato type of activities. And now you can do it in a much more effective way. So what you could do that took a week and now you're doing it in an hour, you can do five of those things and have a week's worth of different types of content. And I think that's pretty cool. Actually, continue on, Jacqueline. What is the role of AI in marketing today? Well, when I think about, because we are a data and analytics platform, and when we think about transactions and models, we are talking literally hundreds of millions of transactions that we're measuring in literally nanoseconds. And it really is this kind of conversation of how you're using AI, one, for innovation. So how do you use it to figure out what is that next best action? But also, how are, if you're a bank, how are you looking at it from a fraud protection standpoint? Every time that you guys are sitting there using your credit cards for a transaction, you just assume that you're somehow getting attacked, but it's being prevented. And so when I think about AI and all of the things that these models and modeling can do, for me, it's about what is the innovation that we have in all of our businesses, whether it's around talent, whether it's around supply chain, whether it's around manufacturing, whether it's around marketing, all of those things have to come together that actually make us better in terms of what we deliver to the marketplace. So I'm a huge proponent of AI. Like Laura said, I think you have to embrace it. Please don't be afraid of it because it's like anything else. The more you know, the better off you'll be. 
And my team and I just from a, you know, our company, we have clearly our own purpose as a company, but our marketing team, we said we believe that people thrive when they're empowered with better information. And I defied at that time when we came up with that, I said, I defy anyone to come up with an example where someone didn't thrive when they had better information. You may not choose to use it. You may decide to do something different. But having better information always makes us better off. And generally speaking, that's what you will get from artificial intelligence and machine learning and the insights that go around that. So when you can be empowered with better information as a marketer, you will be empowered to make better decisions. How you use that information is the determinative. Well said. And in our breakfast this morning, we were talking about application of AI is what some call the fourth industrial revolution is to lift humanity. Absolutely. It's to be a steward for humanity, not robotize. Not robotize it. It is to bring value. And I do think when you think about as society has evolved, starting from the beginning of what we know, every time that we've had more innovation, automation, all of those things have helped us improve. Your iPhone now is more powerful than the computer that sent the first rocket to the moon. Most, most, I'm sure most of you know that, but just imagine that. Think about that for a minute. Think about mission control and you know, a bunch of NASA engineers and think about your iPhone. That's, I think that's amazing. Me to close us out, let's talk a bit about empathy, humanity, culture, and the role of technology as you see it today with you and your teams. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's one of the things that makes humans unique in empathy, at least for where AI is right now. And so (laughs) I think from a leadership perspective and coming together times like this, empathy and insight are the two things that really I think are driving, you can use technology and tools to form the insight and automate a lot of things. But I think having empathy for both from a customer perspective, what their needs are, what your team's needs are, what your peers' needs are in the organization is what's going to, somebody has to point the technology towards some certain direction. And I think those are the skills that we've been talking about building is being able to steward these tools to make the impact that we really want to make. And within Philo right now, a lot of there's nervousness around what's going on in the broader environment, how some of these technology pieces will impact our features, both as a business and just in terms of like individual roles. And one of the frames that we're trying to do is like be very specific about, okay, here, what are these fears? Let's articulate them. And then we'll say, how can we flip them? use these tools to our advantage. And I mean, there's been hesitance, even like when we work with our product teams a lot on building more automation within the product. And this is a little bit more higher level and it's philosophical, but there's, we share the brand as a company, everybody has and contributes to the brand in some way. And there's this fear that comes up sometimes that by seeding too much to models and our artificial intelligence, that it's going to replace our brand edge, right? And it's going to take away human design and the things that we think make us special. And in having those conversations over time, it really has about 
taking it out of the clouds of, yes, that it's possible for something like that to happen if you don't deliberately define what it is you think is important to be defined. And so when we think about, okay, how would that look in real time? Is that about what we're showing in terms of content and personalization? Oh, it's not really the personalization piece. It's more like the look and feel of this. And so when you get down into the specifics, and I'm just using this as an example for sort of a broader macro point, then it's easier to say, here's how these tools and tech can help us. And here's how we can layer on third-party things that we don't control that will actually speed up some of these other things that we do think are important and we can control those things. So that's how I've been thinking about it. Love it. Love it. Okay, guys, are we all ready to go out there and play with AI and drive our businesses forward? (laughs) Visionaries is brought to you in partnership with The Wall Street Journal and made possible by our parent company, 24-7. To find out more about the Marketers That Matter community, visit marketersthatmatter.com. And finally, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave us a rating or review and let us know what you think.